Welcome into the Halftime Brewskies podcast once again. I'm Ollie. I still have James alongside me. It's still just the two of us. We still don't have a jingle to start, but maybe next week, possibly. Who knows? The jingle, really, the jingle is immaterial. I would like to say right at this point, uh, I just posted on Instagram and it's currently blowing up the Instagram sphere. Uh, if Instagram is going down at this point, that's only on me and me alone. No, nothing. See, I, I, <laughs> I, I don't know how to respond to that. But Yeah, I paused for dramatic effect, hoping for some kind of compliment. Didn't happen. Thank you, James. Uh, we are going to talk about a lot of different things here today. We talked about uh, the Canadian hockey teams last week. We are going to start with the American NHL hockey teams, their free agency. We're also going to touch on uh, the Premier League and how VAR is somehow still ridiculous. We'll hit the World Series, of course, because it could be all over by tomorrow night. And we'll be touching on stuff like Lewis Hamilton breaking records consistently in Formula One. But to start, James, I'm going to go straight to you, throw you the hardball question right from the start. Who is the biggest loser of the NHL free agency in the U.S. teams? Oh, wow. I thought we were going to go with winners at the start, but you threw me for a loop. Okay, who's my biggest loser? Oh, yeah. boy, there's a, there's a bunch, because I think when you really look at it, only a few teams have been really active, and a lot of teams have kind of sat on their hands. Um, so when, when I look at it, I love to really nag on Boston, um, because I just, I, I dislike Boston personally, and just as a, everything that they stand for. So yeah. I'll, I'll go Boston as being my loser for uh, for the U.S. teams. Ouch. Mainly because I think they had a big opportunity um, and they had cap space. So they kind of let crew go and kind of the stories that have come out are kind of around how they kind of didn't even offer him a deal after they kind of offered him a deal last summer. And so they kind of just let him walk. And from my sense that all the Boston fans kind of got their hopes up that they're letting Krug walk maybe yeah. like maybe it's going to be a Taylor Hall situation maybe they're going to get into the Petrangelo sweepstakes and yeah and everyone was kept on waiting and waiting and waiting for something to happen and just nothing like not not even pretty much a single move like they re-signed Grizzlick, I think which is a good deal but yeah I think my assessment of them is that they've just gotten worse and for a team that was already kind of on the downslope of their competitive window um Marshawn, Bergeron, Krejci they're all getting a bit older I mean they haven't even brought back Chara like Chara's not even sure if he's going to come back next year so I think this Boston team could look a lot different just yeah. as an as a whole as the season starts up and I don't think they're going to be any better. I think they're going to be worse. And in a, definitely in a division, well, actually, we're not sure what the divisions are going to look like, but right. as an Atlantic division, I think a lot of the other teams got better. I think Montreal yeah. and Toronto both got better. Exactly. Tampa's still a hold-your-breath type situation. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to have Boston as my loser. Uh, but though I do have an overall kind of losers for the offseason, but we can talk about that after we talk about your loser. Yeah, well, here's the funny thing about my loser is that, I mean, 
like I'll just say uh Phoenix mostly because you know it's Phoenix and it's the NHL. Okay, that's harsh, but no, but you know, I think on the on the point of Boston being a big loser, I think the difficulty with calling Boston a big loser is that somehow they always find a way to win, which is really infuriating for teams that are in the East and in the Atlantic division in years gone by. Uh, But I think really the biggest loser is the fans because nothing exciting has happened. We haven't seen any kind of massive team altering or division changing trade free agency signing like one team that's that's really gone out and blown everyone out of the water there's a couple teams that have done well but there's been nothing that's kind of like one team's picked five or six different players and completely shifted the landscape and i think we've kind of just we've sat here hoping well i think we've sat here probably expecting it to be a little crappy because it's a flat cap so there are a lot of teams that might have had extra space that couldn't do anything but you know, we're stuck with a situation where teams are just kind of waiting to see what other teams do. And that's just resulted in kind of a boring free agency. Yeah. I, I do think some of it's being held up by all the restricted free agents. I think the restricted free agents are kind of having a, an eye-opening experience in the sense that they're all settling for a lot less money than they would have thought. Um, yeah. Like who would have thought Dermot would have gotten in the 800s? Like that was a shock to me. Yeah. So I think, I think as, I, I, as a whole... Yeah. Go. You go. You nah. You go. You go. <laughs> you go. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But fine. I think okay. I, no. I think. Okay. <laughs> I think as a whole, though, this entire market's kind of been a bit held up by these restricted free agents and the arbitration meetings and all of that. And I yeah. think that kind of then leads me into kind of saying, I think the biggest loser in all this is kind of all the teams that have the ability to offer sheet players, and that would make these teams better by doing so, but haven't. Like I mean what better situation for a team that was thinking about an offer sheet than what, like when the, what Tampa's in, like Tampa is really up against it. They have three yeah. really good restricted free agents. And this is kind of the perfect situation, the flat cap and all that to offer sheet one. Like, like you could go and get a Sergachev and you could go and not overpay. You could probably, you know, offer sheet him for probably six and a half, seven. Yes, that's a bit rich, but if you have the cap to do it, I still think he's an elite young defenseman and you're going to force Tampa Bay into losing someone. Like, sure, Tampa could probably match, but then they were going to be really exposed on Sorelli. And then if you offer sheet Sorelli and they match Sorelli, then they physically just can't match yeah. whatever you give Eric Chernak. So there's, a, so there's a lot of ways that I think teams are kind of being too nice this offseason. And I think... I think if they had a little more kind of fire in them, I think they would try to, you know, screw their GMs or well, their fellow GMs a little more. Yeah, but this is this is something we've seen that's an issue with the NHL. Or not an issue, but just like it's a testament to how different like the NBA is, for instance. Or even, even the NFL uh, and, you know, baseball to an extent is that NHL GMs like to talk a big game or like to say, you know, we're going to go out, we're going to do this, we have to improve, like, these are all the areas we need to improve, blah, blah, blah. But rarely do they ever pull the trigger on 
a team changing offer sheet or team changing trade. And, you know, that's the way the NBA really stands by itself because you see massive players being traded, not a year, not yearly, of course, but you see them a lot of the time teams getting, you know, a lot of kind of circulation of big players or or all-stars at the very least move around. I think the NHL GMs are a little bit just like they're almost kind of control freaks. Like they're just so set in their ways and they don't want to make any big moves. And I think that also comes down to a bit of the culture of hockey. Yeah. Well, um, hockey's kind of definitely set want, in its ways. Yeah. They don't want to really rock the boat. But yeah. Like, yeah. For the, for the NFL and I think for the NBA, I think you have a lot more, um, a lot more selfishness in a good way almost. Um, mm-hmm. I think you have a lot more players who kind of want to force their own like force their own hand and kind of go where they want to play because like if you look at the nba like i think i've said this before too like the top five players in the league have all left and joined new teams in the past two years like the top five guys have all done yeah well you think of the nhl that's just not the case mcdavid crosby mckinnon like all of these guys are staying where they are and they're going to stay where they are for you know another decade yeah like i mean it, it was such a rarity that you know Tavares left and now Petrangelo like those are two elite players but they're the exception not the rule I mean before Tavares who were we talking about as being the last big free agent to leave his team and that was like Scott Niedemeyer like that was so long ago so you just you never see massive massive players leave their teams and so that's so bringing it all back I think there's that kind of almost comfortability with GMs just not wanting to rock the boat and I think that's a mistake because I think you can make your team better like how is like how is no team offer sheeted Matt Barzell? Like he's gonna make any team that he goes to better. Yeah. Or the or, or the draft pick compensation really like that wouldn't scare me away because he's an elite player. Like the chances and probability of you getting a top top player with those draft picks. It's was, true. It, it was against you in the favor in the first place. So. I mean, it, it's hard because it's like betting against, you're effectively betting against a sure thing because you know Barzal can do it at an extremely high level in the NHL. So there's no, there's really, for the team giving the off sheet, there's no risk because all you're giving away is picks that may or may not turn out or that you may or may use in a completely different trade. But why not risk those picks for an absolute certainty? Like that's yeah. that's what we'll, I'll never really understand. But on that note of not understanding what would you give because obviously we have to bring our trademark not trademarked certified copyrighted hashtagged rating system in what would you give your loser bruins out of six beers that's a good question you're probably like they haven't done anything like they like they have not done anything so i like i don't even know how you give them a rating because what what am, what am I rating? Their inactivity. Well, so this is this is one deal I think that the Bruins have done well, and that's this is. Um, we'll get a little bit more into this in a second, which is kind of underrated signings. I think Craig Smith is a good signing for them. He's. It's funny when you actually look at Craig Smith. He's a he's a scary effective player at five on five. Yeah, um, five and, times and he, twenty he, goal scorer and, too. He's consistent. He, he went under the radar and he does yeah. kind of fit that Boston mold. Yeah. So I, so I guess for that signing, they get. And, th- and that's the only and thing. They're, and, they're still, and they're still a good team. Yeah. 
but I think their defense got worse. Uh, but they're still a solid team. So, oh, that, oh gosh, what do I give them those? You go see, first. I so I uh, was like the loss of Krug, as we said, is massive, and the way it happened is something a sus- little bit suspect. But I think bringing in Craig Smith is a really, really smart deal. I think three point one million a year is probably you know fairly reasonable for him. I think he's thirty now maybe so somewhere up there yeah you know so i think it's and it's not something that's going to kill them over the course of the three years uh so i'm gonna give them bearing in mind what we gave other teams last week i think i'm gonna give them uh a three beer flats straight three beer rating because i think i think think that's kind but grizzlick is Grizzlick back is, you know, you kind of expect it. The Krug loss takes it way down, but I think the Craig Smiths is a secret underdog for being a really, really good signing. They still have to do the DeBrusque deal, so who knows how what that number comes in. I'll give them a two and a half. So they so they get two beers and then and then you can kinda of get like half a beer and then yeah. you're kinda of like, I'm done with this. Okay. And um, if you had to pick a if you had to pick a winner. Since we've only kind of talked about the losers, you have to pick a winner. Uh, quickly a winner. I'll, I'll I'll kind of give my honorable mention. I think Detroit did did well. Um, Detroit is I kind of look at in the same kind of context as as Ottawa in the sense that they kind of had no risk going into this yep. off season, so they just kind of need to supplement their roster with kind of good veterans who can kind of mentor and take some minutes from the young kids. Yeah, um, but my overall winner would be would be Colorado. Yeah, um, I have not I have not, not in the well. league, but just as as a team that I think they just they they don't do bad deals. Yeah, like like, it, like the funny meme that was going around online was like if Joe Sackick phones you don't pick up, right? Because you're so, not going to win. You're not going to win. So I think the Brandon Saad is perfect. I think he fits perfectly onto that second line because their first line is still arguably one of the best in hockey. I think I think the best. I think it's the best line in hockey. When it's fully over fit the, over the Boston over, line, over yeah, yeah, absolutely. McKinnon, McKinnon, Landeskog, and Rantanen. Like, and I think that the nice thing about Colorado is that when one of those players isn't on the line or isn't performing, the others pick it up. I mean, of course, McKinnon did that by himself when Landeskog and Rantanen were both out. But when that line is clicking, I think there isn't a better line in hockey. Yeah, fair enough. But yeah, no, so I think for the Brandon Saad trade, I mean, that was, they moved out Zadorov, but they, they already kind of, I think, knew that they were going to transition away from him because I think they wanted more mobility on that back end, which, I mean, that that back end's already very mobile. Yep. Uh, so, the, so the Brandon Saad deal, great deal for them. Mm-hmm. Limited exposure because he's only got one year left on his contract and, and Chicago picked up, I think, a million dollars of the salary. And then the Devin Taves trade with new york they were one of the few teams that i think have actually taken advantage of the whole kind of offer sheeting rfa kind of carousel yeah and realized that islanders weren't going to be able to afford uh their three rfas and were able to get a really good top four left shot defenseman who yep. they can kind of put really anywhere in their in, in their top six so um colorado didn't make a lot of moves but I think the guys that they brought back, they brought back Nichushian, they brought back Birkovsky, and they just yep. they they identified the things that they wanted to get better, and then they went and cherry picked the guys that they wanted to do mm-hmm. to put in that spot to get better. 
The only thing I'll say, I think that's holding Colorado back is I'm still suspect on their goaltending. Um, but I think they're kind of their hands were tied when it comes to that because they're both got guys under contract with term left. And I don't think you move. I don't think it'd be easy to move a $2 million backup goaltender that nobody wants in Pavel yeah. Frankus. So I think one, you also mentioned Detroit. I was going to say, I think their signing of Nemesnikov is, is really good. That's another one of my underrated signings. I think, you know, he had what? 31 points in 65 games with the avalanche last year. So, you know, I think, and that's playing on what the third line, if that's so I think, you know, when he goes to Detroit, he has a chance to play well. Detroit didn't say how much they paid him for a two year contract, but you know, I think it's a pretty solid deal for Detroit showing that they can just kind of rest easy for the next couple of years while the, their kids still progress and, and get mentored. Oh yeah, Detroit's got uh, you know eighteen million dollars in cap space, yeah. and Nemesnikov's getting paid two million bucks. So yeah, um, again, no risk for them. I think he's he's got some potential reward there, but so from that, yeah. I think that that covers the winners. Well, and my only winner, I had I had to pick between two. I obviously thought uh, the Blues did a really good job, just because they brought in someone like Tory Krug. I mean. You know, you're when you add a defenseman like that to your team, and they're repla- effectively replacing Petrangelo with Tory Krug. In many ways, you know, you're they didn't get any worse. I mean, like you know, Tory Krug isn't the defender Petrangelo is, but he is more than capable. And I think you know the additions like taking on Kyle Clifford. I think these are all you know good deals, but. I think that my winner is going to be the Washington Capitals. And for no reason other than I just, it feels like uh, the Caps know that their OV window is getting smaller and smaller. And I think, you know, like the additions of Trevor Van Riemsdyk, of Justin Schultz, of course, I think Henrik Lundqvist is going to come in and actually have a really good season because he's not going to have the pressure it's a change of scenery and it might just really work well in his favor you know i think it's just it's just going to work out well for them and i think in a division where it kind of feels like pittsburgh have you know fallen off the map a little bit the islanders uh are good but who knows what's going to happen i think the the caps have a chance to really get in and do well in the metro yep i agree i agree kind of they stayed the course and I think a lot of other teams kind of got worse and then they just kept themselves at that kind of level kind of playing field so oh yeah Yeah, I agree uh do we want to go on to a risky move each or uh I have two risky moves that we can quickly touch on you pick you pick a risky move and then say your other one for me because I don't have one okay so I'll I'll, (laughs) I'll supply two I think the risky moves of the offseason I think uh, we'll talk about the first one uh, is Vegas and Petrangelo. Um, not from the player himself, but I think what it costs to get him. Not only the contract, but is I, I do agree that that's probably the best defensive pairing in the league now if he can kind mm-hmm. of mold with Shea Theodore. So I think yep. the upside is, is definitely there. But I think it is a bit of a risk to move out 
you know, they had to trade Paul Stastny and then they have to t- trade Schmidt for yeah, pretty much nothing back. So they lost two fairly important players to their team to Absolutely. add one. And yes, Petrangelo, if you, if you have the opportunity to add him, you add him. But I don't think it's as big of a win as I think they think it will be because I think those other losses will have an impact. Yeah. So that was my first risky move. And the second risky move is I don't know who's going to play goaltender for the Chicago Blackhawks next year. Um, it, like, no way can you go into that season and be like, Malcolm Subban's going to be the guy. Or even like he, Colin Delea, their backup. It, like, how yeah. can you... I get that they've come out now and said we're rebuilding, but like, if anything, yeah, it's, if you want to rebuild, you want a guy who's just going to be stable and just stop the puck and just allow your team to kind of mold and get new systems and get new players in and get defensemen who don't feel like every mistake will end up in the back of the net. Yeah. So from that perspective, I think it's risky to kind of put any kind of trust in those guys. Now, I mean, I could be wrong. Malcolm Subban can kind of come back and have a great he's shown glimpses. career. I mean, he glimpses. was a first round pick, but it's, yeah. I think that's a really risky move, especially because you're going to try to transition to being a young, younger team. So I think you needed just some solidity and just a calming presence. And like, I mean, there was guys out there that could have done that for you, but you've, you've kind of, you know, stuck with the two young guys or younger guys. I wouldn't say they're young anymore, but so yeah, those would be my two risky moves. Yeah. It's, it's very, it's very interesting in Chicago right now. It's very interesting. You know, you look at, I will like maybe two weeks ago, was it where they came out with uh, the whole conversation with Taves and Kane and Keith and had to explain and then had to like, you know, publish the statement saying, Oh yeah, we are actually rebuilding you know, there's who knows what's going to happen because that team is old. It, you know, it showed, it showed that it was the best team in hockey in the tens, in the early tens. They dominated but, almost a decade. Right. So, but um, it, you know, it's, uh, but now they have bloated contracts and I agree and, with the move to rebuild because I think if, if you do it properly, a rebuild can take you three to four years. Yeah. And so I think by the time your rebuild is really turning around and you can be competitive, I think those guys could still be on the roster and still have a taste of kind of that next, that next wave and kind yep. of be the, the old veterans on the team that kind of were there for the rebuild, the first rebuild that went so well. And then they can be the guys who really usher in that new rebuild and they can kind of go out on a high potentially yeah. of their team, you know, going up in the standings. Because I think if you waited any longer and these guys were kind of falling to the end of their career, you never want to leave a place worse off than like you want to kind of leave knowing that where you were coming from is kind of on the way up. Yeah. So I think that's, that's kind of the decision for kind of the rebuild is that hopefully when they retire or kind of transition, maybe away from the Blackhawks is that they can leave knowing that the team is in a good direction and kind of going up and they had something to do with it being mentoring these young kids like Kirby doc and to and stuff like that. So, yeah. Well, to bring this delightful NHL free agency period to a close, we're going to play a little game, uh, which is where I like to call it the six-pack match game. 
That's where we. We're just, that's where we're I'm, just combining a bunch of stuff there. Yeah, it's it's the six pack match game, uh, which is new to the halftime brewskis podcast, uh, and it's basically where I'm gonna pick five names, not six, because that's just you know my choice. No, pick, I'm making, pick six. Ah, uh, uh, fine. Okay, pick fine. Six. So I'll pick six I'll pack, pick, six guys. Let's do it. Fine, six and six. You're just making it harder for yourself. I'm gonna pick six free agents. You have to, uh, and it's a speed round. It's a, it's speed. It's first, uh, first team you think of. And if you're so bold as to put a money number by their name, go ahead. But you oh, know, gosh. this is. I, I see, already this put is, their teams down. Oh, see, should see, I say that or should I pretend like it's off the top of my head? Well, it's hard to since you've just revealed that you'd put teams down because I gave you a hint of to what names I would pick. But maybe someone who's started tuning in now has no idea that I'm going to give you these six names of random people that you don't know. And uh, I'm going to pick names out. You're going to give us a number and a team. Speed round. Okay. Starting now. 28-year-old Michael Randland. Grandland, uh, Grandland. Okay, uh, Grandland. quickly. I, I think Carolina would make a lot of sense. Uh, okay, I think how much? They're uh, probably around like four million. David Clarkson. Uh, I want him to resign with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I want him to be He'll... on the second line, and uh, <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be perfect. Mike Hoffman. Probably the like where I think and where. It, where I think he should go and where I think he ends up are two different things, but I'll say the blue jackets and I'll probably say like just under six. 26 year old Alex Galchenyuk, the bad boy of the league. I think he needs kind of a team that will put him in a good opportunity to kind of increase his value. So I think like a one year deal, like probably like two and a half million, I think would make a lot of sense. I think like a team like Nashville would work. Sammy Vantanen. Sammy Vatnan. Oh boy. Okay. I think the same kind of thing. I think he needs to go to a team that will put him in a, in a good opportunity to succeed. I think he'll probably come in at like three, maybe gets three and a half. And I think Vancouver would make a lot of sense. Andreas Anthony you. Again, he needs a one year deal to kind of prove his value again, get his, get his market back up for, you know, hopefully kind of getting a longer term contract next off season. Uh, funny enough, I actually think Boston make a lot of sense. Uh, okay, probably, and he'll probably come in at he'll probably come in at like two million. And I'm going to give you one more since David Clarkson was kind of a joke. That was an inside joke for all the people who didn't get it because that inside joke is between me and James. Uh, yeah, Dominic Cahoon. Like <laughs> Dominic Cahoon. <laughs> Dominic Cahoon, 25 years old. Oh yeah, uh, he's actually a really good young player, and I was really shocked when Buffalo didn't bring him back. I think if he's for the right price, I think Edmonton would make a lot of sense. Because uh, I think they need just cheap scoring that they can potentially mold into being a top six guy, yeah, uh, and playing with you know either Dreisaitl or McDavid. So I think Dominic Cahoon uh, and a number. He he could go anywhere from a million to two million maybe, but maybe he's yeah anywhere kind of in that range. I think his See, market's hard to kind of gauge. And that, folks, is the six pack match game. Uh, which will come back in many different forms. That's where we yeah. do that. I didn't get any of that, but there we go. Well, no, it was just the light clap so that I don't have to pay for some sound of someone clapping. I'm just going to...
at myself. Uh, we are moving on to our second quarter. Of course, the Premier League uh, is on every weekend, also on the weekdays now because they're trying to throw all the games in. But what we're going to talk about is not so much the games, but how VAR is absolutely ridiculous. And let me get this out first, is that I actually love the video. For those of you who don't know what VAR is, Video Assistant Referee, uh, Video Assistant Review, all these kind of things. Um, and it works so well in so many sports. Rugby, cricket, hockey, baseball has really gone. Even uh, tennis. Like, there are so many sports. Swimming. Tennis has perfected it, all right? Ten tennis like, has perfected it. Like, t- like, tennis, I can't tell you how good. Everybody should watch. Uh, you should go onto YouTube and, like, search for Cricket Hawkeye. And, like, it's insane. They show the ball going in and it's the person swinging and they have like an ultra edge to hear if they if it sounds if there's a nick off of the bat on the ball and it's a wavelength and you can see it so then you instantly know if the ball in the frame of the ball is at the bat and there's no sound it didn't hit the bat it's like really straightforward there are so many sports that have done it so well and somehow football soccer football doesn't know how to do it and the premier league is the absolute worst league for using the video referee and it's it's just happened again this weekend so there are a couple instances which we'll talk about one is um the arsenal game where well so also i should say before all of this is that var got a lot of stick last year because people were like oh it slows the game down it's not real the referee should just see what it calls on the pitch i don't agree with that because you know you can't expect the referees to see all of these stuff all of everything they still want to get the call right exactly like and there were a lot of big calls that were getting missed because the referee just couldn't see it but you couldn't blame the ref for not seeing them but now var so var came in and it was micro analyzing every single move like jordan henderson's uh the merseyside derby last week not this recent weekend but two weekends ago jordan henderson's game-winning goal was called back because sadio mani's elbow was offside and it's like like centimeters yeah the nitpicking of the offsides really bothers me but you know i you know michael owen said this after the game and as one of his punditry things and he said you know if it's offside it's offside so yes it's small it's minute it's minuscule but it's offside so that's fine and you know what he's right because if it's offside and it's whatever that's that's completely fine the issue is uh like you would see in the chelsea menu game this weekend was uh, Harry Maguire's chokehold. I mean, effectively, it was a chokehold of Chelsea captain Cesar Azpilicueta. And every replay, like in game live, you saw that it looked like he was holding him down and he couldn't jump for the ball. And VAR dismissed it in three seconds. And then a couple minutes later, uh, N'Golo Conte, Marcus Rashford was in the penalty box, the man you player. He passes the ball out. And Ingolo Conte taps his foot, or the back of his foot, after the ball is gone, and we watch that replay for four minutes. VAR has no idea. The referee didn't look at the monitor. VAR didn't. I'm speechless. I, I think also, like to add into this, is that yes, VAR I think is pissed off every every team except for Man U. I mean, yeah, well, Man, Man yeah. U have gotten VAR decisions for the last year and a half. Like, I still remember Harry Maguire. I guess he can just, 
he could murder someone out there on the field and they'd be like, we didn't see it because his kick to let's say the, the sensitive area last year. Yeah. He kicked Bashuai in the crotch. Bashuai. Yeah. Yeah. He kicked him in the crotch effectively. And how, he's kicked out. Like, how is that not a red card? Like I still, and and then they get a penalty and they, I think they won that game on a penalty. Yeah. He scored, he scored, he scored the second goal for a two nil win. And it's, there was a no-no. It's, it's, it's an absolute joke because, man, you already have get more penalties than any other team that we've ever seen before. And last yeah. year, they were just – anytime they were down in a game, somehow they would get a penalty, score, and come back and win. Yeah. And it was just well, so infuriating to watch. And then you look at the Man U-Chelsea game from this weekend, pretty dull game, to be honest. Absolutely. Um, but, but, but that – decision was the game like like Chelsea yeah, score on that penalty they win yeah I so, think um, or at least at least it would have provided a spark because then Man U would have had to go the game and it could have at least been a better game they would have but, had to change their change their system right they wouldn't yeah. have been able to kind of almost kind of play it so tic-tac-toe in, in a way they would have had to take a little more challenges which would have opened up the field more for Chelsea's counter-attack yeah. So, well, yeah. From so, that from that perspective, it's just uh, I'm. I say this every time VAR makes a bad decision, but it's just how can you not get this right? Because everybody, every fan watching knows how to do this right. Every pundit watching knows how to do this right. But yet, yeah, they keep on saying the same mistakes over and over again. Like this, this shouldn't be that hard. There are and, rules, and, and like it's just really, it's really clear. And I think you know this year the Premier League came out and said that the referees will have access to the pitch side monitor so that if there is uh, something that they're not sure, then they say to the ref, go look at it on the pitch side monitor and then you can make your decision. How that didn't happen for that... Uh, rugby tackle. Yeah, the chokehold choke is unbelievable. And so, you know, like to his to his credit, Oli Gunasolja, the menu boss, was asked afterwards uh, about the penalty. And he said... The lad, as in Maguire, the lad just pinned him. Harry maybe shouldn't have had his arms around him. So, you know, Solskjaer knew it was uh, it was a bit suspect. And then Aspilicueta was asked too, and he said, "Let me read this here. I felt his uh, both arms around my neck and shoulders. The referee can be shown. The VAR is there. The monitor is on the side to help. Why not take twenty seconds to review? And that's exactly the question. You know, why not take twenty seconds?" to review it and if he looks at it there's no way the ref doesn't look at that monitor and call it as a penalty there's just there isn't a way because of the way that Aspilicueta was still going up Maguire had his hand over him and prevented just, him he from kept jumping him, he kept him from jumping and uh, Harry Maguire is already the biggest guy on the field so like come on man yeah I just I don't like, understand. you're gonna win that header regardless I just I don't understand how the Premier League continues to mess it up all the time because it's actually not that hard to do like it's it's really not a difficult uh i don't i just I, it's not difficult because it's technology and it, the technology is there and you can use the technology and yet somehow the premier league is the and it's the only sport it would, like it would be one thing if all of these other sports had trouble inst uh whatever the word is uh bringing technology in but we've seen it like in hockey when there's a really close call the guys in the booth in toronto look at it and the referees look at it 
and, 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 and in cool. the NHL, they usually get it right. Like, yeah, I, and, I can't and, think like, of times where it's been really egregious and they get it wrong. Yeah, they and, usually get it right because I, I I don't think any of these other leagues would put up with this, right? No, like I think like, there would be like how how this has been a season and a half of this just utter madness yeah. is beyond me. Like how, how are teams really not asking for reform when it comes to how VAR is completely run? Like yeah, I, I like, like I well rugby I has, what, rugby has been doing it well for fifteen years at least. Like they've been using the referee and i think football is like football is so scared to soccer football football is so scared to take it out of the referee's hands because they took it out of the referee's hands and then it didn't go well and then everyone complained so their instant reaction is oh now we're just not going to call anything but you know what we're actually seeing in the premier league and this is partly why i think that there's been so many more well there's just much more scoring and much less defending is because defenders are scared to put the tackle in or get in the way or block a shot because they're fearful that VAR is going to come in and cost them a questionable goal or, you know, a questionable penalty because that arm did seem Pickford. like it was, yeah, <laughs> unless you're uh, Jordan Pickford, Jordan right. Pickford. Well, Everton, well, actually, this was another instance. Uh, Everton had uh, Digne sent off at the end of the game against Southampton how that was uh, because a red card is beyond he was me. he was running back and he accidentally stood on the back of the guy's heel and yeah, i don't he just, think he, he clipped him yeah but i don't i don't think in, in I mean, no way is that a red card like like give him a yellow and move on yeah i think i think that was like you know carlo ancelotti uh mentioned that he thought it might be because um there's been a lot of talk in the press about how everton had been a bit reckless in the Merseyside derby and the Jordan Pickford challenge should have been a red and wasn't. And then, you know, Richarlison got sent off and that was, you know, all of these things. But regardless of the fact is, is that VAR is somehow always getting it wrong in the Premier League. The only thing that they should focus on, I don't, public perception, I really don't care about. The only thing yep. they should focus on is getting the, the call right. Absolutely. So well, I think from that perspective, it's, it's, like it's not a hard problem to fix, but they're just they haven't fixed it yet, which is frustrating for a football fan. So, yeah, and I can't think of a better and yet more frustrating note to hit a halftime trademarked, copyrighted, uh, trademarked. Oh, thank God! It's time to drink. Wait for it. Wait for it. Now we're gonna time this one. Despite see, the mine, internet mine's delay. a bottle, yours are yours oh, is crack. So it's... oh, okay. Well, we'll pretend. So oh, I just heard. See, you know what? Well, <laughs> whatever. We eventually, folks, we will get this whole transition into halftime, right? Without having to count it down like losers, but that's not looking like it's coming anytime soon. Oh, yeah, um, it's happy hour time now. Also, uh, I had a rough Saturday, um, and the taste of alcohol is not nice, but I am no pansy boy. Um, and that's why you're drinking one of the best alcohols on the market. I, yeah, I am no softy, and that's why I'm drinking American Vintage Hard Iced Tea Lemon. Well done. 
thank you. I'd also like, oh, see, I'd like to update everyone uh, that my Instagram is getting likes. Uh, probably not as many as I want it to. So not like this is going live. It doesn't matter. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the benefits to... One of the benefits to Instagram taking away the like number is that you can no longer be shamed for how few likes you get. Um, well, you can still see how many likes you get, right? I know I can. I just don't have to share that with the world, and I will uh, happily. Which, which I kind of like. Like it. Like it's there well, was there I'll was just... already kind of like it's yeah. Not like I'll I post anything. That. I think my last post was like maybe like two years ago. But I'll just I'll just say that when I got dumped by my university girlfriend my instagram likes dropped by about 45 so give or take i was averaging like 180 to 200 on every photo she dumped me um and then i went down to like 120 to 140 and now it's even worse so at least we can laugh about it in retrospect right so <laughs> Well, thank God I'm going to edit out the bit where I cry. Uh, <laughs> it's too real. We're getting too real. Okay. What the third quarter. Oh, my God. The third quarter before I tear up. Um, thank God they can't see those tears on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> they can just hear them instead. The solid weeps. Uh, we're going to talk about the World Series now because we are maybe what time is it now 7 33 eastern so we are probably 36 hours from possibly having a world series champion um la is one win away kershaw put on a clinic um and in game five and i think finally uh dispelled the Kershaw postseason choker label that he, he has had hanging around his neck for quite some time. And it was also a bit of a remarkable... There was, there was a whole lot of crazy stuff that's been happening um, in this postseason series, and one of which is how the Rays won their game with the mistakes and the throw to home plate. Um, and we also know the Rays like to be bold and experimental on the diamond. They tried to steal home. What do you think of that? I mean, you play to win the game, right? So, uh, I, in a World Series that, funny enough, the ratings have been so down, which I, which I kind of find surprising because they're not competing with anyone right now. Like, mm -hmm. there's no really, there's no sports that it's actually competing with. They needed a little bit of controversy or some excitement built up around this because obviously mm -hmm. people aren't watching it in the numbers that they used to. So I think, yeah, ha having some fun, try to steal home type plays in a World Series is, as a fan, that's what you want to see. You want to see kind of the outlandish kind of crazy well, kind of ideas like that and the chess match that that kind of creates. So here are, here are my fun facts. Uh, it's been 18 years since someone tried to steal home in a World Series. That, you know that? that last that last one guy was Brad Fulmer of the Angels, and he did it in 2002. Although there is a little asterisk to that because it was part of a double steal, which kind of makes more sense. Um, so that's why it worked out. So I think it's a little bit of madness, but 
you know, play to win. It just sucks that he got thrown out at home and then next inning the Dodgers go and hit a bomb and go up 4-2. I mean, it's all shaping up to be a great kind of game six, right? So, um... Well, Blake Snell versus Tony Goslin. Yeah, yeah, I expected Snell to go back. Yeah, the fact it's hard. That the Dodgers have picked Gosselin. Gosselin's funny because he's that one guy who's kind of between all the other guys. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, they're saving Bueller for for potentially game Apostle. seven. Like, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you went with Kershaw for two games now, and that's worked out. He hasn't cost any games, but I mean, Gosselin will have a think I think a shorter leash, but he's it'll, it'll be a good pitching matchup but again the Rays should have the advantage when it comes to that like Blake Snell on his day is a Cy Young pitcher so yeah let's see what let's see what happens but Dodgers are kind of still riding that wave so you know I feel I, st- I still do expect that even if it gets to a game seven that Bueller will be able to shut them down because I think Bueller is the best you know arguably the best young pitcher in the league but um but yeah no it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting to see kind of the way the Dodgers can kind of handle the Rays because the Rays are going to be persistent. They're not going to go down without a fight. So, Well, I want to pause for a second because you say Buda's the best young pitcher in the league. One I of the best, yeah. Think Well, I think you're forgetting about Daniel Norris, who is... Okay, for everyone listening, possibly, that's, another, that's another inside, inside fun joke. Who's possibly the greatest pitcher of all time. And I say this with certainty because... Uh, I spent an inordinate amount of money getting a Daniel Norris jersey when he was on the Blue Jays. Um, and the guy had to go into the storeroom to like to get one because they weren't on display anywhere because no one was buying a Daniel Norris jersey other than his family. Not only did you buy a Norris jersey, you bought it at the stadium. So you were yeah. paying a premium. Yeah, but A... I got two fun little caps that are like, well, they're like, they're like, they're not really big at all. Maybe when I have, if I had a baby, well, not if I have, when I have a baby in the future and they can put their fist up, then it'll probably fit on their fist because that's how small the hats are. Um, (laughs) So that's also a phenomenal part of it. Also, the fact that I bought the jersey for an inordinate amount of money. Then about a week later, he was traded for David Price as part of that package deal. So I could have got that jersey for nothing. They probably would have given it to me because they're like, oh, we feel bad. You don't even know he got traded anyway. Yeah, you were just jealous of me and my uh, Brett Laurie jersey. So (laughs) what a time. That was a great blue. Brett Laurie as a Blue Jay was, that was exciting. That was always exciting. He's a Um, Blue Jay forever. I love that guy. So I will ask you two questions about the World Series. Uh, One, which you've already rubbished a bit, but I don't care, which is, does this feel like a passing of the mantle? The Rays have always had elite rotation and bullpen and just all-around good pitching. The Dodgers pitchers are being touted as some of the best and the best combinations of you know, established veterans like Kershaw and then, you know, up-and-comers. Does it feel like the Dodgers are going to replace the Rays on the make-believe mantle of best pitching rotations? 
it's it's a strange one because uh, like in, in so many ways Tampa Bay is just a factory for just producing high-end pitchers I mean going back to even like David Price and Matt Moore and James Shields and all the guys who kind of came out of that kind of era of kind of Tampa Bay Rays yeah and then I mean Blake Snell is kind of their big their big horse now but I mean Tyler Glasnow they got they got in a trade um and a lot of their kind of good young pitchers like Shane Baz who's in their system looks really good again they got him in a trade the Dodgers have done it like all their guys were homegrown like when you look at Bueller and you look at Kershaw and you look at Urias and Dustin May who's getting a lot of fanfare right now because of his uh because mm-hmm. of his hair and his electric arm like the Dodgers have always had probably one of the top farm systems and every year they seem to always have the top, the top farm system even though they're always good so they're getting later draft picks, but they just have an ability to kind of just find value. Um, so I, I think from a long-term perspective, I think the Dodgers are definitely looking like one of, it'll be like one of the dominant rotations for, for a long time. So I think from that perspective, yeah, they might supplant uh, Tampa Bay in that sense. But I think Tampa Bay is also just, they just find a way to make it work. Like, they, like they're just going to find some random guys and turn them into stars. And that's what they do. Um, because I think Atlanta is probably right there with kind of the young elite pitchers in the game. I yeah. think, you know, Ian Anderson and Serenka and all those guys are kind of looking on their way up. Um, and the White Sox have some really good young pitching coming as well. So I think there will be kind of an arms race, literally. Um, but I think the Dodgers are in a good spot to kind of, if Bueller can kind of continue to be what he is, and Dustin May turns into what we all think he can be. I think you're looking at probably the deepest. Yeah. But I well, think Atlanta's right there. And I think Tampa Bay, again, will they'll just, they'll make it work, right? They had Chris Archer and then they, they kind of realized Chris Archer was on his way down. So they traded him, got a hell of a lot back for him, including Tyler Glasnow, who's one of their top, top young kids. So they, they've, they just always make things work. But I think, yeah, yeah the Dodgers are in a good spot for when Kershaw definitely isn't going to be able to be a one, two, or even three in their rotation going forward. Well, using all of your analytical might, do you think the Dodgers pitchers are as good as they are because of their long hair? Like this has got to be the secret. They're using head and shoulders, banging it out with uh, the long hair flow. Do you think it's, it's the secret to their success? I mean, like Tyler Glasnow's got some long hair and he got lit up last night. So he's definitely not using the right shampoo, I guess. But... <laughs> he was, <laughs> but yeah, he no, was on I the think... Pantene grind. Oh yeah, definitely. I th- but when you look at, yeah, Dustin May and Tony Gosselin's got some, got some, he's got some good hair. flow. Clayton Kershaw's got some nice flow, but I mean, Rocket Bueller and Hulu Urias, they, they don't got no hair. So I, I, I think, I think there's a, there's a, there's a balance to it, but I think Dustin May has definitely got probably the best hair in all of major leagues right now. It's pretty luscious. It is. I think uh, we'll have to do this as part of our fun fourth quarter n- another time, uh, which is where we pick the best hair in across the major leagues. And we'll go NHL, NBA, NFL, MLB, MLS. Sure. Um, I can't, you know, we could go into Europe, but that's getting, that's getting extensive. So 
Are we going to put what we know? Uh, are we going to put that much effort into the research? <laughs> Probably not, considering how my Saturday went. As I'm just going to pick Mario Balotelli and one of the FIFAs. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. Edgar Davids has the greatest style of all time, and that's undisputable. Yeah, uh, Puyol. If, he always had great hair. You know who didn't have great hair? Cannavaro. Zidane. 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 Zidane too. Yeah. Oh, uh, David Beckham of all time. David Beckham's got the most consistent change of style. He was just always changing it. Every time he had a different hairstyle. Well, he, he was fashion, right? He would change it, and That's whatever true. he changed it to would then be fashionable. Like, I yeah. mean, it's David well, Beckham. Fun, fun Ollie fact of the day is that when I would get my hair cut at Giorgio's, uh, which was on the way to Brixton in Hearn Hill, um, basically, Giorgio... Is that in England? Uh, yeah, and so they were... They were <laughs> wow. They were Chelsea fans, thank God, because I was also a Chelsea fan. Um, and they kind of spoke a little bit of, uh, well, no, I think they, no, they probably spoke pretty good English. One of them definitely did. I don't really remember. It was a long time ago, but I would always say, I want my haircut like super Frankie Lampard. Um, I also, I used to say John Terry too, but then when John Terry had the whole incident, uh, yeah, we don't need to go into that right now. Yeah. It. So you can Google it actually, cause there's a couple of them. So you pick one of the incidents you want. Uh, but I like Super Frankie Lampard. Also, this is a question, and this is a big question. Um, do soccer players get their t- chests lasered? I'm I'm absolutely going out on the limb and saying they absolutely get their body hair lasered. There's no way all of those men just have no body hair. Like, absolutely gets lasered. Apart from, like, Roy Keane and, you know, scary people. Ryan Giggs, I think Ryan Giggs probably doesn't. But at the end of the game, you know, they take the shirts off and they all have no hair on their bodies. I'm like, that's not true. That's real. That's an astute observation from you. Wow. I never Thank thought you. about it. Thank you. This is, uh, these are some of the cutaways that you're going to get when I'm on The Bachelor uh, or The Bachelor. Well, hopefully The Bachelorette because evidently it's a bit of a shit show this season. So I I'm still need to fill that. out your application. Yeah, I'll do that for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just wait till I uh, have a consistent workout routine before we do Bachelor in Paradise because I'm going to have to cut out the beer that I drink every day. <laughs> also need to figure out what you're going to put in your little bio there as well. I mean, past student, current child, um, podcast. Hey, we got, a, we got an average audience of 19 last I checked, so... And that's, that's pretty good because I don't even know 19 people. So that's, that's pretty good. Well, and I haven't see? even started to throw that on my social media. So imagine when I put that up to my 15 followers, it's going to well, go up by like. Yeah. 15. Six. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't think that many would listen to it. Uh, it's small gonna... <laughs> following, but committed. Small, but committed. We're moving on to the fourth quarter here. Uh, this fourth quarter doesn't have a fun game, but uh the first like the match game so yeah we we're gonna talk about the nfl um and the first note we're gonna talk a little bit about surprises uh of this past weekend my first note is the patriots really do be bad like cam newton looked like i i I think i still think cam newton's a good 
good quarterback. But yeah, I think, I think he he, it game. was just a bad. And that third, and that third interception was just that was that was unfortunate. The guy couldn't catch the ball. Yeah, I think I think the the Patriots really do be bad, but Cam Newton is is not the issue on that team. No. I think there's uh, the issues run far deeper than Cam Newton um, and Bill Belichick. But the second surprise, although it's well, I mean it's. On the outset, it looks like a surprise because the Cowboys lost to Washington. Um, but A, all it does is reinforce my ongoing statement, which I've been saying for about two years now, which is Andy Dalton is the most average QB of all time and forever will be the most average person on a football field. I don't think you're the only one who ever has ever said that, though. No, I'm just trying to dominate the airwaves on it. Okay, true. But, but I guess, yeah, for, from a perspective, like he was like, when you looked at the depth chart at the start of the season and he had Dak Prescott, then Andy Dalton, you're like, we're in pretty good shape when it comes to the quarterback position. Yeah. Uh, because God forbid Dak gets injured. You're going to have Dalton, who's, you know, for all his ups and downs, was still a decent quarterback in Cincinnati. And yeah, you know, just, he did, he did just lead, the, delightfully lead them to the playoffs a few times. Delightfully yeah, just, boring, but he did lead them to playoffs a few times. So, as, as a backup quarterback, I still think he's a very good backup quarterback. As a starting quarterback, he's really towards the back tier of the league at this point. But very yeah, much that, so. hit, that hit on him was just – that was unfortunate because that was a dirty hit. Um, and he and, – and I'm surprised. That, like, you, you saw that hit and you're like, wow, he's not yeah. getting up. He, yeah. Like, that is a 200 – that's probably like – probably 250-pound guy – coming in at full speed head first right into your head right into the grass so that so that was unfortunate i have no love for the cowboys but you never want to see anyone get hurt especially like that yeah um, and I, I mean washington football team whether they're ever going to actually have a name but uh, uh kyle allen i think had a pretty good game uh, i thought he if, looked good i thought he looked good i thought he's he's been good in stretches though under ron rivera so um yeah i thought he had a good game to be honest, I just never want to see Alex Smith on the field again um, because because I just I fear for him. Uh, like it's one of those things that anytime you see Alex Smith on the field, you hold your breath a bit because you're just like it would be heartbreaking if he got hurt again. Yeah. Um, because like he literally almost lost his leg. Like that. Like how I many? Just, I can't remember how I, many surgeries he actually had on it. But like I remember watching when he came back. I think it was probably two weeks ago. And his yeah. family was in the crowd and he has like three young kids think, um, and his, well, and his but, wife was there. And it was, it would have been just, it's, it's one of those things that you just hold your breath every time he's on the field. So, well, this uh, is exactly I, why, a great story that he came back, but well, this is, this is exactly why uh, I am completely supportive of Andrew Luck hanging it up when he did, because his, his answer for it, when people pressed him on it, his answer for it was, you know, I want to be able to lift my kids above my head and like play with my kids. And I was just like, of course, like that's a completely valid reason to stop playing the game you love because you realize that football is just a really small part of the career and their lifespan. And, you know, how much worse that his is his life going to be if he continues to mess up that shoulder and he can't lift his kids above his head or have fun or play with his kids. I was like, completely, absolutely go for it. I, I would say the only thing that people had problems with Andrew Luck is the timing of it. Like he should have done yeah. it before the season started. Yeah, and I know. They, but... and, before they, and before they had like literally thought about their season with him as quarterback. 
Yeah. Like they should have given he should have given them the offseason to be like he's not coming back. We now yeah, need to address the quarterback position this offseason. I don't I just I just think that you know uh sports sports teams are businesses, man. Like you know, players get traded and cut all the time and the teams have no you know, the players have families and they settle and the team is saying, oh yeah, so you just got traded and you're going to have to move and Indianapolis wants you on a plane now, so get lost. You know, I, oh, I completely think that Luck was well within his rights to be like, yeah, screw this, I'm done. Oh yeah, and, and, and I agree with that, but it's just, I think coming at it from their perspective, I think, uh, from a fan's perspective, sorry, I think that's what you were kind of like, yeah, they would. I would. Yeah, yeah you'd be upset we, we, because we, he was. We would a have preferred talent. you to just make a decision at, for like business, business and the team point of view aside. As a fan, I think you would have wanted the ability to make those changes in the off season. Um, yeah, because well, because I look, you can like I think you can agree or disagree with the decision, but uh, I think the timing of it could have been a bit better. But that's just me personally. So. Bringing it, uh, bringing it back to this week. Have well, I've got a couple notables. So we both picked an NFL weekend MVP. Uh, yeah. I got a couple notables that I'm going to mention before. Uh, Joe Burrow, 406 yards, three TDs, one interception. Con- he continues to be good value for showing us that he is as real as we thought. Baker Mayfield. In that game against Joe Burrow, 297 yards, five TDs, and one interception. Baker's back, although his dancing in the locker room at the end, you're just kind of like, oh, dear God, it's back. And um, they lost Odell Beckham for the year, so. Which is a massive loss. Uh, who else? I've got Aaron Rodgers here. He played well, 283 yards, four TDs. Tyler Lockett for the Seahawks, 200 yards, three TDs. And that uh, Seahawks cardinals game was really good and that's why i also have kyler murray 360 i was about to say kyler murray as well yeah that 360 passing yards three tds one interception and 67 rushing yards and and 104.5 rating yeah and you know i think i think he looked really good and he's you know it's nice that he also played russell wilson because russell wilson has consistently been uh, called out comparative. yeah yeah and but also because everyone's like oh yeah russell wilson will never do it because he's small he can't even see over you know because he's he's short for a quarterback but kyle murray is shorter and it just you know those two guys going at each other and the, how good that game was i think it ended what 37 34 i think it was no t um yes it just, yeah it showed how how good those two quarterbacks are and Kyler Murray for all of his detractors uh, at the end or in the, in his first seasons, he's showing them that he's legit and they were right to take a gamble on him. But that brings me to my NFL weekend MVP, which is DK Metcalf, the <laughs> Seahawks. Wide oh receiver. my God. Partly, partly because this guy is an Super absolute human. specimen. Oh yeah. Superhuman. Like in, Sane body and how he fell as far as he did. I was reading an article uh, and it was talking about all the other wide receivers that had been taken above him and how he somehow fell to where he did. Who knows? But A, he is an insane human and he played well. But B, that run to stop the pick six 
90, like a 93 yard run or something. He turned around and caught, I don't know, uh, I can't remember his name on the cards, who picked off Russell Wilson in the, uh, you know, like on the eight yard line. And DK Metcalf caught him all the way back and took him down and before then, he could run and it then in. And then got up. And then, like, yeah. like anyone else, not that anyone else could do that, anyone else would have been like, I'm done. Yeah, so like, like, like you're gonna need to stretch me off this field. Yeah, and like the he fact got that up he and was just able to kept get going. up, just like you know, walked off. Absolute legend. His his lung capacity is just that's ridiculous. Absolute legend. Yeah, that yeah, that was that was one of those things where it's like you want to see some real speed. Yeah, <laughs> and then just because he, he did, he came out of nowhere and he was chasing down a very fast. I think he was I think a cornerback, right? Yeah, that intercepted it. Yeah, and those guys are fast because they have to be fast enough to keep up with wide receivers. Yeah, and he was, had, and he had like a he, ten he had yard, a ten head yard start. head start at least. Yeah, it was wild. And it was just like, and all, and all the comment commentators were like, "Oh, and this is gonna be a pick six, pretty much." And then you yeah. just see out of the corner of your eye, Metcalf just come chugging down the field. Yeah, that was that was a really cool moment. I think for any kind of football fan, whether you're a Seattle fan or not, that was a really cool moment. Yeah, but of course, there is only there can only be one other highlight from this weekend. Oh yeah, and it was right before the weekend started too, so it was a real nice nugget before we all got our weekends up and running. But uh, should I say it or do you want to? You go for it. Your NFL weekend MVP. Yeah, and I think the weekend. I think the MVP that everybody got to enjoy this little play was I think the MVP has to go to every cameraman that covered the Daniel Jones, uh, rushing almost touchdown. Um, yeah, that was, I remember cause I was at the bar watching that too. And in Vancouver going to a bar at this point is very rare just cause all the rules and regulations yeah, that we course. have to follow. But, um, I was at the bar watching that and it was just like, Oh, Daniel, Daniel Jones is running. Oh wow, he's got space. Oh wow, no one's around him. Like no one's going to touch him. Yeah. All you need to do is not do what he did. And then it, the best was just the camera guy that got close in on his face right as he noticed that he was going down. It was that just like that pain and that utter fear. You could just see it in his eyes. So that guy, real MVP, that camera guy who captured that moment when Daniel Jones knew that he yeah. was going down. <laughs> he's going down. I impressed though how long he stayed up. Like it felt like his legs stopped working and then he went another somehow he made it another like 15 yards before finally actually eating it. Oh but, yeah. Well, he thought he was just getting a first down. He had, yeah. he, he did not anticipate that much room being there. And really no one was around. Him. No, like all he, he needed to do was just stay on his feet. Even a slight jog would have gotten him in. And he just, yeah. I think it's one of those things where you think someone's behind you. So you're just, you're so scrambled and you're, and you're thinking, you're overthinking it. And then you just, you miss one step and then you just, you're going down. And that's it. So, they, yeah, no, that was, that was the real MVP of the, <laughs> of the weekend, which was the Thursday night game that, and that camera guy that was able to just, get human emotion in its purest form just the fear in his eyes just the fear and just pain and just embarrassment but they did score on that drive so that made it a bit better because if they hadn't that would have left a lot worse 
Yeah, it would have. It would have been. It would have been. It was bad. It would have been really bad. Yeah, they lost the game though. So I mean, that's embarrassing enough. Well, that yeah, that Giants team is. That's, well, that division is absolutely terrible. Yeah, I yeah yeah. I, there there are a few there are a few words to describe that division of football. Yeah, but I think Better, I think Philly will win it. So. Yeah, well, they're they're trying hard not to. By, by the way, I mean, Dallas, Dallas was in first and they had two wins. So I think yeah. Philly's in first now because they have two wins and a tie. Mm-hmm. Which I still don't no. really get why they f- finish things in ties, but like just yeah. keep on playing. Yeah. Now uh, we're going to move on to the very last part. It's We call it the final minute of play. It's probably going to take a little more than a minute, um, but we could not do this episode without talking about Lewis Hamilton who had his 92nd career win in F1, which takes him to uh, the solo lead uh, and atop the rankings of most wins in F1 history. He overtook, he was sharing it with Michael Schumacher. They both had 91 wins. Hamilton won the Grand Prix this weekend. I think it was in Portugal. Uh, And he won from pole position. He also holds a record for the most pole positions as well. Uh, which he won, which he equaled Michael Schumacher, I think, earlier this year. Now he has the most. He's well on his way to a seventh uh, world championship, which is the only category, significant category that Schumacher uh, still holds over him. And I mean, this, like, it's it's unbelievable. So Hamilton won his 92nd Grand Prix in just his 262nd Formula One race. Uh, the comparable with that is, is Schumacher reached his 91st win at his 247th race and then didn't win anymore. But Hamilton is so dominant with this Mercedes team that uh, it's it, it's looking like 100 wins is going to be incredibly easy. Uh, very easy chance to even get an 8th world championship next season if he stays with Mercedes. I mean, for, for context... Uh, outside of Schumacher, the next closest in wins is Sebastian Vettel with 53. So like, a wide margin. So, yeah, so 92. Uh, I mean, they, they well, Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes have been dominant since 2014 when they brought, uh, they revamped the rules and changed the engine rules. But, you know, just unbelievable. 92 wins and... I think he's making. I think his contract is reportedly worth like a cool forty million a year. So, so he's got some money, and I get. And only, I bet you he gets free Mercedes. Oh yeah, a he gets he gets free Mercedes and limited edition Mercedes. Uh, and I'm can I can only assume his contract is going up after becoming the mo the winningest driver in F1 history. I don't know anything about racing or anything like that. So this was all you, this final minute. <laughs> well, thank God, because it came... Actually, I think that was pretty close to a minute. Uh, so... That was definitely over a minute. Well, pretty close. Um, that's all I got. What about you? Any final final thoughts since, you know, we went over the final minute of play anyway? No, no final thoughts. Nothing like um, that. Do Last question. Do the Dodgers win it all tomorrow? I think it goes game seven. Game seven. 
Uh, I, you know what? I'm going to say Game 7 too. I think it's going to be a little Game 7 dramatics and Game 7 will go into extras. because I think, like I think Snell will get down to Game 7. There we go. That's all we got for the Halftime Brewskis podcast. I'm Ollie. That's James. Gonna catch Thank you for listening. Cheers, guys.